0: Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics with me, Steve Richards. Sorry about the silly voice again. I'm going through a sort of phase where I I like doing uh, voices. Anyway, uh, welcome to Rock and Roll Politics. Politics, the uh, weekly podcast with me, Steve Richards. Thank you so much for tuning in. We have got a huge amount to cram in and a big announcement. And I'll begin with the big announcement. Then I'll reflect, if it's okay with all of you about how Europe can trap leaders and put them into all kinds of contortions. And Brexit hasn't changed the capacity of Europe to do that to leaders in Britain. Um, It's another example, actually, of how Brexit isn't done. And then, such an amazing range of questions. Yeah, I hope I can get through some of them, but if I don't, another time. And that brings me to the uh, big announcement that the podcast is going twice weekly, from this week. You will get it on Friday if you're a Patreon subscriber. You'll get it on Thursday at some point, Thursday evening probably. And the reason for that is many most of the time, there'll be an interview uh, on that podcast exploring themes which we have discussed together in our Rock and Roll Politics Cooperative, but uh, with those with agency or who have also reflected deeply in politics, the media, and elsewhere. And if there's not an interview, there will be time uh, for more questions. I'm very conscious, I get hundreds of questions, um, can't read them all out. Uh, many of them do determine the direction the podcast takes each week uh, because I read them all and think oh yeah yeah that's interesting and yeah we've got to engage with that and so uh, there will be the chance to do that sometimes but as I say it will be quite often an interview with someone and it will begin with an interview this uh, Thursday or Friday so if you don't subscribe please do subscribe then it will arrive automatically. And you don't have to think while you're out walking your dog or running or cooking bread, you don't have to think, oh yeah, yeah, didn't he say something about an interview on Thursday or Friday? It will just arrive like magic. And do pass the message on to your friends and so on that our cooperative will be getting together twice a week. So you've got to Join in and subscribe. And if you could leave a review, but only if you like it, that would be great as well. Anyway, thank you uh, very much uh, if you do any of that. And thank you if you subscribe to Patreon. Just a reminder if you do, you will get these podcasts a bit earlier, ad free. And also, a bonus podcasts there are rock and roll politics mugs. We're starting a series on that Patreon of the troublemakers. And the first episode is uh, Tony Benn, more to come. But if you just subscribe now, get loads of other stuff as well. Now, if it's okay with all of you, before we reflect on questions and all of that, um, it's really interesting in British politics how Europe has this unique capacity to split parties. It's been the case since uh, Britain joined in 1973 and hasn't changed of course since Britain left in 2016 and now we are coming up to another moment of great interest which is uh, whether the Northern Ireland protocol can be fixed. There has been movement on both sides and what is encouraging is that there appears to be a way through. And if there is, uh, you you might even have heard of it by the time you listen, because there is a chance that it happens all quite quickly. Uh, But of course, in uh, politics, nothing is straightforward. And uh, in British politics, when it comes to Europe. And Rishi Sunak finds himself in a considerably complex position because of his parliamentary party. One of the great fascinations, I think, for historians uh, in years to come uh, will be an examination of how the Conservative Parliamentary Party has changed. It's now more difficult to manage uh, than the Parliamentary Labour Party. I think, actually, it is a more difficult party to manage uh, than the Parliamentary Labour Party in the 1980s. Neil Kinnock, who listens to this podcast, will probably disagree but uh, who was leader of course and and found managing the Labour Party a nightmarish way to spend his 40s to quote Neil Kinnock Um, but it is the switch around so Keir Starmer can come along change things quite radically The, the 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 term hard left there's been no less appropriate adjective they've just given up the power that they had given to Keir Starmer parliamentary Labour Party follows with admiration on the whole Um, and compare that to the Conservative Parliamentary Party and of course it's Europe though not wholly Europe that has brought about the change so let's say and I say by the time you've heard this uh, you might know more because these things can happen quite suddenly Um, but um, so here for example One of our listeners who writes in regularly uh, about the uh, protocol, the situation in Northern Ireland, the situation in the rest of Ireland, is uh, the Reverend Canon Paul Arbuthnot. So he has written in to say, for once, I'm feeling optimistic that 2023 might be the year. He's writing from uh, Dublin. Uh, might be the year, but if he's in Belfast and follows the whole situation in Northern Ireland, might be the year that the Northern Irish Protocol can be put to bed and that Northern Ireland can obtain some much-needed stability. Now, he's been watching it really closely. So if he's optimistic, there is a chance, and we're getting it, as I say, from to some extent from the Foreign Office in Britain and, and from Brussels. But say if there is some kind of movement on both sides and an agreement is reached. How will the Tory Parliamentary Party respond? And this is where Sunak is, in some respects, trapped. Now, maybe he will escape the trap this time, but maybe not. So, first of all, enter Keir Starmer, who uh, has made clear uh, that he will support Sunak if there is a deal on the protocol. Now, some have suggested that this shows that Starmer is finally beginning to move on Brexit because he was absolutely clear about this and um, not only clear about it, he said it in quite striking language that um, Sunak had to take on the so-called Brexit purists of the ERG group and Starmer said uh, Labour would support him as I say some people interpret this as Starmer finally daring to say what is in front of most people's eyes that the deal negotiated by Johnson and Lord Frosty Frost is a disaster and uh, uh, last week there were other shifts in that direction Sadiq Khan the mayor of London was absolutely clear in an article he wrote that we have to start talking about the calamitous consequences of Brexit. And incidentally, he negotiated that article with Starmer's office. It wasn't a sort of freelance exercise. Now, I'm not sure at all that this indicates a willingness to talk more about the calamities of the Johnson-Lord-Frosty-Frost Brexit from the Starmer perspective. It might, I noticed in the Koonsberg interview on Sunday, and there were questions about it, including from our Brussels correspondent, Caroline Morgan, coming up. Um, but um, he didn't really move on most of the issues, uh, although he did say in passing, and with Keir Starmer, you always have to note what he says sort of almost under his breath. Uh, so, for example, I mentioned last week that when he made his big New Year's speech, he did mutter under his breath, of course there needs to be more investment, while then um, going on to the what appeared to be the safe language of reform. Please listen to the episode I did just before Christmas on the term reform. I said then, you won't be able to move for references to reform, um, this ubiquitous term that can mean 10,000 different things and is not always as safe a prop as it appears to be. Um, But he he said in passing, of course, there needs to be investment, um, but it's sort of under the breath because it's very hard for Labour uh, with the tax and spend debate in Britain to say much more. They need to say enough to give them space in government To move, and that's the art. But that's another issue. Anyway, he did say in passing uh, that the uh, Brexit deal was a a disaster, Um, but on the whole stuck to the script of uh, we want to make it a better Brexit and so on. And rather than saying loudly uh, what a calamity it is, and to focus on that, explain why it's a calamity, say it's a scandal. Um, that there was no space for scrutiny during the negotiation Um, for the second phase particularly, the trade agreement that Lord Frosty Frost negotiated almost by the end single-handedly with uh, Johnson, famous for his wayward attention, looking on. Um, He needs to go into much more detail and expose it. And in exposing the scandal of it will, to his surprise, create space. Um, The Red Wall, of course, and I was speaking uh, at the weekend to an MP from the Red Wall, Labour MP, who says um, that they felt betrayed by um, uh, what happened after 2016 when they voted for Brexit. And that's wholly understandable. And it's a very powerful emotion. But note, it's about the process. They voted one way and... Uh, the House of Commons then delayed and delayed implementing their will. It's about a sense of not being listened to. Again, process, sequencing. It's not about the substance. You don't go to any Red Wall seat and say, and you hear people say, wow, uh, I revere Lord Frosty Frost for what he's done to us with that deal. It's not that. Starmer is absolutely right you cannot allow that betrayal emotion to resurface but there is I think space to attack the substance and actually benefit from it it's a scandal what happened the most important set of negotiations since 1945 basically it was Johnson and Frost you know Uh, Cummings are gone The cabinet didn't look at it, was told on Christmas Eve that a deal had been done. Parliament had six hours, I think, in a special session between Christmas and... It's unbelievable. Space, a bit of space for Keir Starmer. But has Rishi Sunak got space over the protocol? Because if the ERG group uh, decide they don't find it acceptable... Uh, that uh, movement has been made on the UK side as well as the EU side. Uh, That's why it's absolutely smart of Starmer to offer to support Sunak, because Sunak knows he could get the deal through, but he might have to do so dependent on Labour votes. And that will be another seismic moment in the stormy world of British politics and Europe now i stress it might not come to that james cleverly is involved in the negotiations as foreign secretary and he was a brexiteer and maybe he will be able to deliver it to his brexiteers but you can't guarantee it and uh two of the factions are looking on closely there's obviously the whole erg group who um will make their calculations not on the grounds of expediency but on purity, as Starmer says. They will look at this and they will say, if in any way at all Brussels is intervening uh, in terms of what we decide to do with Northern Ireland, um, it is unacceptable. And yet, the consequence of Johnson's decision to put the border between Great Britain and Northern Ireland was that there was going to be inevitable involvement. The EU was never going to say, and Johnson Part of him must have realised this. Oh yeah, over to you. you, decide what you want in this border with the single market. We'll keep out of it completely. It was never, ever going to happen. Uh, and therefore Northern Ireland was put in a different place from the rest of Great Britain and the Unionists should have realised it. And when they campaigned for Brexit, incidentally not the majority position in Northern Ireland, uh, majority voted uh, Remain, they too should have realised the consequences but they were too willful or stupid to do so and so there will have to be an arrangement where the EU have some involvement in how this border is uh, managed and if they are being more expedient that's great if Britain and the British government under Sunak are being more expedient as uh, the Reverend Paul uh, Bathnot has said there is grounds for optimism But Sunak has to not only deal with the purists of the ERG, um, there are the other kind of factions. So there's the Boris Johnson devotees. Um, Now, Johnson actually continues to remain a sort of psychologically fascinating figure because there will be a part of him who recognises the obvious. uh, That if he condemns Sunak for making sense of what Johnson himself negotiated... Most people will see that as outrageous, transparent, manoeuvring to undermine another Prime Minister for pure personal gain. He will be trying to destroy an attempt to make sense of his own selfish action in putting a border between Northern Ireland and Great Britain. But we know he's capable of doing that, Um We know that he agonised over which way to go on the Brexit referendum. Uh, And he went one way and then condemned everything that Theresa May did and ended up negotiating a worse deal than her. Uh, But it was was about his position in the Conservative Party. And if there is a bit of him, and clearly there is a bit of him, I don't think it's in all of him, who uh, dares to think that there's a way back for him to number 10, he will take that route and then even more bizarrely in a way is the kind of group around Liz Truss who have fantasized that uh, her revolution was the right revolution but the timing was wrong and that the values of that revolution must remain in place and she of course took quite a hard line over the protocol, again posturing partly to the membership and her uh, MPs. So they too will be making calculations. And there is this other fascination with the Tory Parliamentary Party, uh, that there is no instinctive sense of loyalty to a leader. It was it was a cliché. Uh, people used to say about the Tory Parliamentary Party, um, their secret weapon is loyalty. To the leader you know Labour would be kind of making a leader's life hell and the Tory they would sort of worship at the altar and at party conferences would do so that no longer is the case um, I'm struck by the number of MPs actually on both sides Labour MPs observing it with sort of fascinating curiosity all saying what they, they don't like Sunak there's no real deep sense of loyalty to Sunak and yet if Sunak doesn't do a deal when one is on offer and one that he senses is the right course to take, he is also in deep trouble. He needs and yearns for a better relationship with the United States, and he won't get one with the Biden administration while this Northern Ireland protocol question is left hanging. And with threats that Britain will act unilaterally, Britain might break international law, all that kind of thing, Now, a trade deal with America, which was part of the Brexit fantasy, is as far off as ever whatever happens. But a better, more productive relationship emerges uh, once this protocol issue is resolved. He knows, too, from his time at the Treasury, that uh, Britain's economic situation is so fragile, it cannot take on uh, another battle Uh, uh, because the EU, if Britain withdraws from this unilaterally at some point, uh, as Sunak tries to appease the ERG and Johnson and all these other posturing figures, um, the EU will retaliate. Well, the UK is bottom of the league in the G7 at the moment, because of Brexit, actually. It's the only difference with the other countries. Um, It can't afford another economic hit on top of, Uh, austerity pandemic and brexit and so he needs a deal and the way he's approaching government is to be thorough and look at problems and try to solve them now he's not solving them (laughs) you look at the industrial disputes at the moment anyway as i record again things might have changed by the time some of you are listening to it but you can see that that's his approach Working hard, eighteen-hour, reading all the evidence, uh, speaking to Nicola Sturgeon, uh, you know, doing lots of things that his predecessors didn't do, um, including, of course, reading the detail. Uh, Sunak would not have done Brexit as Johnson did without, as rumour has it, reading all the inside stuff that Frosty was negotiating. Um, anyway, he is trapped, uh, or could be trapped. Uh, sometimes Prime Ministers, Tory Prime Ministers, emerge from the traps. When John Major got in in uh, 1990, uh, he looked, and that's, by the way, his only model, Sunak for optimism, is the major period from 1990 to 1992. Do listen if you haven't. There is, uh, I think there's a question on it today, actually. There is a narrow path whereby Sunak wins, Uh, And it's the sort of 1992 Major model. Now, Major appeared trapped uh, in relation to the Maastricht Treaty uh, when he became Prime Minister, because, again, a Tory parliamentary party already becoming restive, though not as restive as now. Although, remember, they removed a Prime Minister, Margaret Thatcher, and then wondered what the hell they had done. They were getting restive about the Maastricht Treaty. Now, Major escaped the initial trap of Maastricht by negotiating opt-outs on the social chapter and the single currency. He called it game, set and match and it was up to the 92 election. He then became trapped again over Maastricht and his life was hellish. Uh, He managed to escape in the end but at great cost and of course they were slaughtered in 1997. Now it might be that cleverly and others will say to his brexiteers in the parliamentary party look i'm a brexiteer this is okay let's make this work and they all come into line and sunak would have escaped the trap but if and this is of course partly why starmer made the offer he also believes in it i mean he's went to northern ireland last week he knows how important it is that this protocol is sorted out and as uh, the reverend Paul Abathnot says that the assembly then has to get up and running. I mean, the, the, this Brexit has caused mayhem in Northern Ireland. Uh, it hasn't done the rest of the UK any good, but mayhem in Northern Ireland. Um, now, maybe he escapes and they all rally round. But if they don't, he is trapped. If he goes one way, he can woo. Uh, his Eurosceptics, um, of course, Sunak himself is a Eurosceptic. He's he's the Brexiteer Prime Minister. Brexiteer before Johnson, Truss was a Remainer. Uh, Theresa May was a Remainer. Um, uh, but if he goes against them, um, they will turn on him. We know how they turn on him. I don't think personally that they will be in a position or have the will to remove another Prime Minister over this, but they will make life desperately hellish and uncomfortable but if he woos them as Cameron wooed them May tried to woo them May by the way was trapped after the 2017 election and didn't find a way out of the trap Um, uh, they just take more and a prime minister becomes weaker and weaker so it will be interesting to observe the I mean Sunak faces many monumental challenges but this is his first great parliamentary challenge and inevitably it's over Europe. Uh, Brexit isn't done and Europe's capacity to uh, create waves within British political parties remains in place and uh, Sunak could be trapped. Which way will he go and how does he escape? Big questions. By the way, Nicola Sturgeon similarly is trapped in relation to independence. It's very interesting how, uh, I mean, she's a more accomplished leader in that she's been there a long time and won many elections, and Sunak might not win one election, um, i.e. the general election. Um, But she too is trapped over this issue of uh, independence. How does she do it? It's very interesting that she's moved from saying that the general election will be, in effect, a referendum to saying the hollyrood parliamentary election she's put two options uh, to be debated uh, could be the uh, moment where it becomes a referendum she's in a curious position it's in a way it's more interesting than the sunak one because sunak although with a majority of 80 hasn't really got that kind of majority she's in a more powerful position and she keeps on winning elections triumphantly um, but how does she get to this independence Um, ...when it's in the hands of the Westminster uh, government uh, to decree. And I pick up no inclination on the Labour side or the uh, Tory side to give it to her. Um, And so, yeah, uh, she too, although electorally formidable... ...the route still isn't clear how she gets to that position... Um, And I think the only way she gets a referendum is if there's a Labour government, and uh, a Labour government notes uh, that, um, and this is a huge if, if they appear to be doing well. Um, Maybe voters in Scotland say, oh, yeah, we're through the hell of Westminster forever voting for Tory governments. Uh, Maybe, yeah, maybe we won't take the risk of independence. And polls suggest uh, independence is suddenly quite unpopular or very unpopular. And Starmer takes the risk of holding that second Uh, referendum but that's not the best context for uh, Nicola Sturgeon assuming she's got the stamina to stay around for that moment Uh, she wants a referendum when she can win it Uh, but a Westminster government isn't going to offer her the referendum when it looks as if she's going to win it and so that dynamic continues and continues yeah quite often leaders uh, in positions of power feel powerless Anyway, there's a thought. And now to your questions. Um, And by the way, I've had so many questions. I want to thank, uh, first of all, uh, Steve Petrie uh, sent me a great photo of him singing. Uh, with the distinguished uh, Huddersfield mayor voice, male voice choir. Um, it wasn't just a photo. There were many profound reflections. Um, uh, but St- Steve also said, I'm sure you'll recognise me because I look younger than all the others. Well, Steve, I've had a look at the... Uh, and I know, but we went to school together, Steve and I. So we are still at the height of our youth. Um, but Steve, you all looked about 100 in the photo. I know the voices are brilliant, but I couldn't see who was you. Um, But anyway, uh, thank you. And when we've got more time, gonna reflect on some of the themes in your question. Before we go on some of the other questions, James Leach, who came to my Brighton show, met in the bar afterwards. uh, He said he he was uh, reflecting on some of the themes from that show and about whether this winter of uh, discontent is worse than the last one. And he read uh, Phil Tinline's book, uh, The Death of Consensus Over Christmas. Yeah, Phil is a BBC producer. I've worked with him, and it's, it's a very interesting book, where he touches on how the nightmare of militant unions that Thatcher forced down in 79 has now been replaced by the new nightmare of the cost of living. But it seems like Sunak hasn't realised that. He says he remains resolute in the face of unions, but resolute to do what? Anyway... Uh, it's, it is different, this winter of discontent. It is, in some ways, more complex and wider than the 78, 79 winter of uh, discontent. Uh, anyway, James Leach has uh, started a sub, uh, substack called It's All Storytelling, where he explores the differences between now and then. And, and you can get it uh, uh, on storytelling.substack.com. I think. Is that it, James? Uh, anyway, you'll you'll find it with James. And it's very good. I've read the essay. Uh, I like it because he cites me. But it's no, no, it's very good anyway. Um, so on to some other stuff. Now, this is interesting. Do you remember last week we heard from one of our barometer voters in our cooperative rock and roll politics focus group? Uh, and, and one of them is stuart grant the legendary stuart grant who has very kindly presented me with lord frosty frost union jack socks but he voted conservative last time uh he's disillusioned with the conservatives but has not yet been he, he kept us up to date in last week's episode he has not yet been convinced by labor well stuart you've got terry kelk uh to uh deal with here because terry says can i respectfully suggest that the cooperative doesn't really need to pander quite so much to the agonizing of people like the Brexit voting undecided Stewart. He says that Starmer needs to do this and that in order to get Stewart's vote. The way I see it is this. On the one hand we have the incumbents, on the other we have the uh, challenger. And Terry defines the incumbents as a cross between Screaming Lord such as No, not just a cross. The equivalent of the Screaming Lord Such Monster Raving Loony Party. On the other, we have the challenger, Old Joe Sensible. Stuart is laying down conditions that must be met if Joe Sensible is to get his vote. Surely the burden of proof should be the other way round. This is the worst government in living memory. Is Stuart seriously saying that he might vote for them again? If so, I'm not really that interested in what he thinks, as he appears to lack a certain critical faculty. Nothing personal, Stuart. Well, there we are. Terry's laid down the gauntlet. He he says the divide is silly versus sensible. And why haven't you gone towards the sensible? Well, Stuart has reasons about it to do with trust uh, in what Keir Starmer used to say about Brexit and now and uh, and with wider applications uh so but there you go terry you've laid down the gauntlet Stuart. let us know your thinking in a few weeks time because you remain one of our key floating barometer voters and so does after we'd heard from Stuart, one of the others in our focus group is denise william's mum and denise has um kept us informed of her mother a tory voter um oh Denise you came to the rope tackle show at Shoreham last night I know you I've often wondered whether you go to these shows oh you should have said hello next time uh I'm back there in March so you, you must do it uh she says because uh I'm being encouraged to swim by another of the rock and roll politics cooperative who, who lives on the south coast has written a great book on outdoor swimming she said don't swim in the sea it's full of sewage yeah what a metaphor for the times we are living through not just a metaphor; it's true. Anyway, uh, she's been in touch. I said, "What about your mum? Where is she now? In terms of her voting, her floating voter instincts." A reminder for your listeners that my retired mother was a nurse, a keen royalist, is a keen royalist, uh, an armchair environmentalist, which means she watches a lot of David Attenborough, uh, and has always voted conservative, other than once or twice for Blair. Uh, She likes to think she's modern, but doesn't consider herself political. She does, however, watch the news. A few months ago, she informed me that she will never vote Tory again. She was disgusted with the behaviour of Johnson, but equally dismayed by the Tory party. Basically, a fundamental and irreparable breakdown in trust. So I'm just going to break off, Denise. See, that's interesting. Stewart's not there with Starmer because he doesn't trust Starmer yet, but uh, uh, Denise's mum, there's been such a breakdown in trust with the Tory party, she's not going to vote Tory again. Uh, She thought the Tory leadership election was a farce and was horrified by Truss's destruction of the economy. Turning to Sunak, she sees him as more in line with a traditional Tory leader, but hopelessly out of touch. Um, and so she's of the view that Britain's broken and it's the Tory party that broke it. Turning to stantmer, she is warming up to him and sees him as a prime minister in waiting. She also likes a number of the shadow cabinet, Rayner, Lammy, Thornbury, Cooper. All people she sees as characters, something I suspect her generation likes. So, there we go. I think Denise Denise's mum has moved, and she is closer to what the opinion polls suggest is happening uh, than Stuart. But Stuart's theory is that that lead is very light, um, the Labour lead. So thank you, Denise. If your mother has more to say, keep us informed. The Rock and Roll Politics Cooperative Focus Group reveals a lot. These uh, people... Uh, who voted Tory last time. Uh, where where are they now? So yeah, thank you very much. You see what I mean about uh, the, the range here? Now, another kind of uh, related theme about uh, last week's podcast, where I asked Denise's mum, where do you stand? Keep us informed. Uh, I was also talking about the phrase take back control which Keir Starmer used, and I think was misread as being seen as a sort of pro-Brexit thing. It wasn't. Uh, how, and I said it was a good phrase to use because it implies agency. It's, it should be a Labour phrase in that respect. But I've had an email from uh, Bendor Grosvenor, and he says, I can see, sort of see your logic that a take-back control line will work for Labour, but with one big caveat, not in Scotland. Up here, Labour saying take back control means a number of things, none of which are good for Starmer. First, it reminds people of a Brexit slogan they voted against. Second, for the majority of voters who at the last Holyrood election voted for another referendum on independence, but which Starmer is refusing. It means, well, you can take back control, but not that kind of control. For those who want independence, it means you could take back control, but not too much control. If Labour ends up needing Scottish seats to form a majority at the next election, do you think Starmer will regret not adopting a more plausible message for Scottish voters? It is interesting. I mean, uh, Starmer and his office are obsessed with the Red Wall. They obviously want Scottish seats, but I think they have less confidence that they can get them uh, back. Okay, now on to another, it, it is so interesting. Starmer was saying on his interview with Laura Koonsberg, he just inundated with advice. All I can say, here is is that's what happens to Labour leaders in opposition. It's not just you. Uh, even Blair, when he was kind of 40 points ahead in the polls, every column was sort of advice about what Blair should do, shouldn't do. Um, and other leaders similarly. Um, the thing to do, Kia, is just take the good advice. yes but what does he mean by good yeah yeah anyway dr simon woods works at the wales palliative care team pediatric palliative care team he says where i'd like to see keir Starmer go next is to come up with something akin to wilson's white heat of technology yeah the white hot heat of the technological revolution Uh, was Wilson's thing uh, in his party conference speech in sixty three. It was all about modernity. Modernity is a key to winning. In trying to forge uh, a new green deal with energy brought back in in housing and innovation. Uh, which is then sold internationally. Well, I think to some extent he's trying to do that. Uh, as Simon adds, in case you were wondering, yes, it's hard working in the NHS at the minute. I'll become a consultant in nine months' time after I finish my medicine degree in 2012. Yeah, blimey. And the pull of going somewhere like Australia is very strong. I never imagined I would feel like this. My nursing colleagues pull, and they pull, and they pull. If Steve Bartley really looked at how hard they actually work, he couldn't ever afford to pay them. I put in a shift too, of course. Isn't it interesting? You see, they're thinking of going to Wales. Uh, Wales. Simon is in Wales. They're thinking of going to Australia. Now he's qualified. They've got to do something to keep the existing staff and attract more staff. Yeah, well we lost a load because of brexit and other things but um anyway thank you very much uh, a question from tony for some reason i haven't got your surname tony i apologize but you know who you are uh will hutton makes the point if labor were in power and we had the current chaos in the nhs and excessive excess death rates the tory newspapers would be screaming out about it and describing labor as the death party uh if we are to have a balanced political debate, the dominance of the non-resident billionaire newspaper owners needs to be removed. Do you think PR might lead to this with an increase in the number of political parties and a breakup of the current duopoly? Tony obviously lives in Bath. He says, you must take the show to Bath. I'm really keen to take the show to Bath, Tony. Will do. Promise. Let me know where you think we should. I should go. We. I should go. Uh, a, a tour is being... Planned, actually, um, at the moment. Uh, I do think you cannot do any assessment of British politics uh, of recent decades and well before that without analysing and including an assessment of the uh, newspapers and the way they shape debate. Um, Now, I think it's one of the reasons why I've sort of come round to electoral reform. I think it will... I hope, uh, make a a wider debate and a more open debate possible. The classic one being, you can't be honest about tax and spend before an election. That's because of the newspapers, not the voters. They're quite capable of having a grown-up debate about it, actually. But once it's been mediated through the newspapers, and the BBC is very heavily influenced by them, it becomes impossible, or close to impossible. But I still think, although I think uh, Kissam Rachel Reeves have decided they're going to basically accept the broadly the public spending levels they inherit, there is more space. People aren't daft. They can see the scale of the crisis. Of course, it's not just to do with investment, uh, but it's partly to do with investment. Of course, it needs reform. Every single politician on the planet recognises that status quo is not enough, that reform is required. But there are many, many different variations on reform. There isn't just one. Please go back to my pre-Christmas podcast on that term, reform. Now, over to our Brussels correspondent, uh, Caroline uh, Morgan. I suggest a second focus group within the cooperative to go with your floating voter ex-Tory ones, the disillusioned Remainers. How will they vote? I know a few Labour-inclined friends saying that they won't vote Labour unless Starmer changes his position. One says she'll go uh, green, um, and uh, she's... uh, uh, emily thornbury is caroline's mp she's got a huge majority and is sure to get in so i'm why wouldn't i vote green as a protest to labour's current brexit stance which i can't endorse and frankly don't even understand why be so categoric why not say we'll review the situation when we're in government uh, and while we're inclined not to rejoin the single market nothing's off the table uh I'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, But Caroline also says, small anecdote, read the NHS, because in our rock and roll cooperative, we've been talking about reform for much longer uh, than the uh, Labour and Tory leaderships. um, And I think have delved a bit deeper. Uh, But anyway, uh, and Caroline has told us a lot about the situation in Brussels. I'm in the very privileged position of spending half the week in Brussels, so can choose where to get my health care I need a doctor's appointment. I rang my Belgian doctor on Thursday. The phone was answered immediately. I was offered an appointment for Monday. Tomorrow, which I can't make, the receptionist said, is Tuesday okay then? Imagine that happening in the UK. We need to ask ourselves why it's unimaginable in today's Britain. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do. And, 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 and you get beyond, frankly, saying you can bypass a GP to see a uh, physiotherapist by self-referral uh th- this is where reform becomes complicated that you know there are things that need bypassing but the problem is a you need you're going to need a hell of a lot more physiotherapists if you have a chance to self-refer to them and b um self-diagnosis is not straightforward um reform is not a magic wand it's absolutely essential but needs deep deep courageous thinking um and there's a, there's a kind of co-payment mechanism, I think, in Brussels, in Belgium, which works well. Um, anyway, on your first point, I do think they need to find a form of words that gives them more space, because they're not uh, vis-a-vis Brexit. They're not going to get the economic growth they need with quite, without quite a significant reconfiguration of the Johnson-Frost uh, deals um but i don't i can fully accept for now caroline you might disagree with this that they have to rule out the single market because free movement is is still opposed by so many in the red wall even though the labor shortages are wrecking their chances of proper health care in the red wall as elsewhere but i think there's a sequencing here you first of all absolutely expose the calamity of the current deal, as Sadiq Khan has suggested. And over time, I mean, someone's got to do it. If Labour do it, the BBC will then explore it and things. If no one's doing it, it's quite hard for the BBC to do it in their current sort of timidity uh, vis-a-vis this government. Um, and, and so you, you, you do it, you gain from it, because it will reveal quite what went on with these, the, this mediocre negotiator, Lord Frosty Frostian, not elected to anything, and Johnson half paying attention. And then you create the space to be able to say a bit more just so that when you're in government, you are not trapped. As I say, quite often, a prime minister seemingly powerful is trapped, as we've discussed with Sunak at the moment, vis-a-vis the protocol. Um, and he doesn't want to be in that position. He needs space, big time, to sort out a wrecked country. Um, Anyway, look, we've been going on for uh, long enough, I think, but we've got tons more. uh, And I say the joy of a second episode is we can explore some of these things. Great uh, question from John McIntosh, urging us to look in more detail at how the devolution of NHS worked in Manchester, of course do you remember as part of the so called northern powerhouse George Osborne did it, and it is an interesting model and uh it's not being referred to. Has it worked? Has it not? Where have been the tensions, and there have been problems with it? As or what are the successes? Really good point. We need to look at it. Uh, Noah Keat uh, wonders whether the term freedom uh, can be made more sense of in terms of uh, opposing this uh, farcical bill uh, constraining uh, uh, strike action. Uh, with unions by arguing about the freedom to withhold labour this term freedom is potent there's a very good fabian pamphlet on it which i'm going to talk about in more detail Uh, uh, if Starmer seizes the term freedom he's through and will win the election this term freedom is so potent in british politics it's quite a deceptive and complicated term fascinating from our french correspondent dominica about how uh, she noted that old Lord Frosty Frost did a degree from Oxford in medieval French. And she had a student who did that and found it so useless in terms of understanding France, modern France, she moved to a different university. And uh, Dominica wonders whether that explains a bit of Frosty's education. Education explains a lot. Uh, British exceptionalism—the way history's taught at Eton and Frosty Frost—yeah, God, y- you can imagine medieval French does not necessarily give him the equipment to deal with the negotiations going on at the moment. Uh, interesting from Ryan Veal, who listens in Australia uh, while he's on his morning jog around the Melbourne cricket ground. What a what a blissful way of listening to rock and roll politics, uh, Ryan. He wonders whether there is a route to Scottish independence via the next uh, Labour government. Um, there will be no deal with the SNP. Starmer can't do it, Ryan, because you know the, the sort of so-called coalition of chaos did for Ed Miliband in 2015, as if there was calmness by uh, following the victorious Cameron. Um, so there won't be a deal. As I say, the only way it happens. Uh, and, and it would be designed not to happen, as if Labour give a referendum uh, when uh, independence looks absolutely doomed, and it's safe, therefore, to call a referendum. Uh, how they get there is not at all clear beyond winning one election after another um, in Scotland, of course. Uh, Russell uh, Boxer has some interesting thoughts about um, language and what kind of what is the slogans that are going to win for Starmer and whether Sunak might already have acquired some reassuring language uh, he has so many great uh, questions Ollie Turner oh yeah I've got to mention this because Ollie uh, his two-year-old is having a nap so he, he uses that time to write to all of us at the uh, cooperative um, but and he wonders even if the Conservatives emerge Uh, as the biggest party in a hung parliament uh, whether that would be uh, seen as any kind of victory given the number of seats they would have lost good question When a party loses a lot of seats, they lose authority, Um, although, yeah, that is an interesting scenario. What if the Tories are the biggest party in a hung parliament? Really interesting scenario. Let's reflect on it when your baby is asleep again. Uh, Not baby, two-year-old. Is that still a baby? No. Um, Anyway, uh, they're demanding. I know they're demanding Ollie. Peter Fanning writes well on Tony Benn, who he kindly listened to the bonus podcast in the Patreon on uh, Tony Benn and this fascinating area of where power lies and pooled sovereignty and the trade-off between the power to make a decision Sovereignty and the power to implement decisions. Uh, Parliament may be sovereign but can't be all powerful. Really interesting. Whereas, well, of course, Tony Benn, like the Tory Brexiteers now, was obsessed with Westminster sovereignty of a very kind of narrow version. Ben remains, though, a fascinating figure. I hope uh, those of you who subscribed enjoyed uh, those reflections on Ben in the troublemaker series. Uh, Anthony Wilson. Uh, should one believe the rumours about the potential pincer movement threatening rishi sunak of defections to labour from one wing And calls for Boris Johnson to return from another. Anthony, it's another example of how this parliamentary party makes life very difficult for Sunak. Paul Cooper writes brilliantly about how you bring about economic growth and how difficult it is. Um, He points out again, it's a bit like these other terms reform, it's an umbrella term to fit a political agenda. But since the service sector can no longer bail the UK out, I'm none the wiser about how the UK economy grows in the next 10 years years how do you start a growth cycle cycle you see both sunak and Starmer say their big idea is economic growth but that's not a big idea of who's against economic growth it's how you get it and it's difficult uh, valentina burgess writes um uh, that scottish independence is uh, looks more attractive as a radical uh, option for public service reform and goes in some detail about different fiscal mechanisms and different types of taxation. Uh, countries like Germany, Spain, the US and France all allow their sub-national bodies much higher degrees of fiscal autonomy than the centralised UK and therefore Valentina is drawn towards independence. The The, the problem is though, uh, Valentina, uh, and it's, it's never easily resolved, in that a lot of areas, indeed, including Scotland, do get money from the centre, uh, and that if you have total fiscal aut- autonomy, what about the poorer areas of England? Uh, you know that get money from the uh, centre um, and wouldn't have the means to raise it all from local taxation. It it, it is complicated. It includes in Scotland, and and finally, Andy Driver, Andy Andy Davis. White van man, Andy, has sent me a front page of the Daily Mail. Labour opposes life-saving law to curb strikes, the front page of the Daily Mail. This is a bit like Noah Keaton, Freedom. Freedom. Do you agree, says Andy, Milliams would welcome Starmer defining himself and the nature of his opposition by owning this headline and making a clear stand against the male and other, what he calls putrid cheerleaders of this exhausted and panic-stricken government. And he adds, By the way, I'm a white van driver who thoroughly enjoys your podcasts on his travels. I'm, of course, available at mate's rates to anyone in your esteemed collective who needs a lifter-shifter. Actually, Andy, I think he calls the driver Andy. Uh, I think I do. I'm sure lots of people will want you, Driver Andy, and it is um, great to hear from you. Thrilled that you are listening. Uh, Tell tell all your fellow drivers to tune in, and uh, if they're all buying the Daily Mail, this will give them cause for other reflections, perhaps. Thank you very much, and a great... uh, a lovely email from andrew anderson from edinburgh who also listened to the tony ben bonus on patreon he was campaigning the chesterfield by-election that ben won uh, when ben and healy were speaking at a joint uh, event and i've seen this on youtube or somewhere andrew where the banner proclaiming labor unity collapsed <laughs> um and yeah it's a classic Anyway, look, tons and tons of uh, emails. Thank you very much. One of the reasons why we're going to do uh, a second podcast on Thursday stroke Friday. Um, And hopefully, though, uh, it will also be interviews where we can have other voices reflecting on the many themes of this podcast. And that will be the case uh, this week. So do subscribe. uh, And we're going to get together the cooperative twice a week. That means twice as much running and cooking and all the rest of it Uh, so i will see you later this week in the meantime take care as we navigate more dramas uh in broken britain what a cheerful way to end Uh, yeah it is cheerful so we're going to get together twice a week and tell your friends and let's expand this cooperative uh, to make britain great again that's got to be our ultimate objective thanks so much bye